Hello, and welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is webinar episode 127, The Mind of Peace. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith, including books, MP3 downloads, and videos, you can visit www.malcolmsmith.org. Now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, and I want to continue um, looking at that text from the book of the prophet Isaiah, because I believe that, let me say it again, this is of supreme importance that in the days in which we live, which incidentally were the days that Isaiah originally spoke to, days exactly like ours, um, it is imperative that we understand what it is to walk literally day by day by day in this peace, which is the peace of God. And so let me just read that text again, the same one as we read last week. He says, you will keep in perfect peace. And remember the actual Hebrew words there are peace, peace. We translate it as perfect peace, but the idea is waves of divine peace coming like a tide through our lives, wave upon wave, peace upon peace upon peace. And we've said perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord. The Lord is the rock eternal. Now, we have last week, very briefly, let me um, remind you that the peace that is spoken of here is not merely the peace that is used in our English language. This is a tremendous word in the scripture, and whenever you find this word, you can see that there's a richness of meaning that we find very hard to put into English. But peace, and the Hebrew word is shalom, and it speaks of that deep sense of well-being, that one has come to completeness, to fulfillment, that, that terrible sense of lost in life and not knowing where I am, who I am, or where I'm going, that has been met and settled and we now have that rest that Jesus spoke of. Come unto me and rest. Uh, it's a life that is in harmony, symphony. It's a life of balance. We're, we're, we're no longer in that state of chaos within ourselves. Chaos of mind. Chaos of emotion. We have come to shalom, which is balance. So it's, it's this sense of well-being and completeness. It's a sense of harmony and balance. Uh, it, it, of course, it is security and safety. It is that absolute assurance that God is with us and he is our protector. He's our shield around us. And it's a shalom, a peace that does not come from the events that are happening. So it doesn't mean that everything is going my way, therefore I have peace. The fact is, it doesn't matter how things are going. 
we have this peace, this stillness, this assurance that we are walking in God. There there is no anxiety in this peace of God. And it describes uh, health and wholeness so that it is used of persons that have been healed of physical, mental, emotional disease as well as a deep spirit healing. And all of this, this word shalom, is a result of, it comes out of, a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus. So one does not seek peace as a thing in itself. Rather, as our relationship with God the Father that is ours through Jesus Christ, worked in us by the Spirit, a side effect of that, you might say. It's a side effect. We we realize that we walk in this peace. And according to this text that we've read, this um, peace that it it comes by, uh, it calls here a mind that is stayed upon God, that is paralleled with trust. And so this is the essence of faith. One might say that one walks in faith, one trusts in the Lord, this ultimate relationship. And the result of that is this peace. Tonight I call you, I call you to this peace of God. And and as Paul says, it passes human comprehension. And now, and now it says this, this peace operates in a person whose mind is stayed on the Lord. Now, let, let, let that sink in. Whose mind is stayed on the Lord. And that phrase is then parallel to trusting in God. So we're coming to the very heart of what trust and faith really mean, which many times we get all uh, tongue-tied over that. So now this word mind, it's a fascinating thing to me, and um, for some of you it might be a frightening thing, because, um, well, there, there are a lot of people that leave whole chunks of our existence outside of, of their Christian faith and are very threatened when the Christian faith takes them inside of itself. And, and one is imagination. Um, have you ever linked your imagination with the truth of Christ living in you through the Holy Spirit? Well, if you haven't, this verse is talking about that. The word mind here, the word mind is the word imagination in the original language. And it, it, the, the very usage of, of the word tells us how the persons of the Bible understood this word imagination. Um, first of all, imagination. Uh, forget everything you, you've, you think you know about imagination. I mean, this, this is not, um, I'm not talking about just sitting under a tea, tree daydreaming. Imagination It's a place within us. Let's just leave it at that without getting too technical. It's a place within us where we form, where we have a pattern 
of what life is and therefore is supposed to be and could be and should be. It's, um, it's the place where we bring all of life, squeeze it and shape it into what we understand life is. So another word that is used in scripture for this word is make. In, in the Bible, the imagination, your imagination is the making place. It's the place, and again, the words are used, where life is conceived and life actually comes to birth. It's the womb of life. It's where you live before you live it. It's, it's life in its beginnings. It's, it's where life rises up. And, and, and this is where we're going. And our imagination is the formation of that. I tell you, let me give illustration. The, this word that is used here is also used to describe a potter who takes clay and fashions it into pots and plates and whatever. It's the potter as he fashions his clay. So in the imagination, it's where we fashion and form life before it's actually lived. This word would be used of a tailor who takes his cloth and begins to cut it and shape it and make a garment out of it. So imagination is the place where, according to the pattern, we fashion life as it will be lived, as we understand it is. It's a word used of a carpenter taking his wood and fashioning the wood and making it into something. Um, it's the sculptor who takes the stone and chips and chisels at it, and out of it comes a beautiful statue. It's also used of a writer who takes his words and, and, and with his art, he puts the words together to make uh, a novel, make a poem. Do you understand the imagination, the making place, the construction site within us where life actually begins to take place? Or it's it's hinted at in that verse as a man thinks in his heart so he is our, our actual behavior and the words we speak to persons are actually the belated announcement of what's been going on in our construction imagination this long time did you get that our actions and our behaviors are the end of the line. They are the belated declaration of where our imagination has been this long time. We imagine and we build into that imagination and we, we see this is what I will, this is what I want, this is the way life should be and finally it comes out in words and actions and sometimes we're hardly aware of the connection and when we do something we say, where did that come from? It came from that well within us, the imagination, you see. 
I, I tell you where this word is used, which might blow your mind. Uh, it's in Genesis in chapter 2, where it says that God, the Lord God, it says, took the dust of the earth and he made, that's the word, he made mankind. He fashioned the body, your body, my body. He fashioned it out of the dust of the earth into the shape and and put in all the ligaments and the muscles and the nerves and every little cell. It was all made out of the dust of the earth. And that word made is the same word that is used here. It's, it's, this is where it happens. It's the creative place within us that brings forth life as we believe it should and could and will be done. So put it this way. I said it was construction site within you. Do you understand what I mean by that? Wish I could see your eyes. Uh, the construction side, it's inside. Sometimes we say it's in our head. Sometimes we say it's, it's sort of in our heart. But there's a place within us, invisible to these eyes. But we're very, very aware of it. A place, a construction site. Now, to that construction site comes everything we can see. Uh, all that we can touch, all the data all the facts of our present life, and they are all taken and they're fitted, they're in the constructions, they're put into this pattern of what we believe life is all about. The, the pattern, the form of life as we believe that life is and shall be, and should be, and could be. So it's a place of reaching beyond what is to the could be. It's it's the place where we let that part of us take flight to places we've never been. But it's all within this area, shall I say, this map of this is what we believe, and these are the facts, and we fit it all together, and then we anticipate the future and we construct what makes sense to that pattern of what we believe is truth. It's our expectancy of life. Now, this is the thing about imagination. There's no labor to it. You know, if you're going, you see words, sometimes we're a bit loose with words. We, We say, I'll think about it. Now, if genuinely you do that, you sweat at that, to think about something, and you laboriously add fact to fact, and, and you, you try and build something, and, and, and your mind gets tired and burned out. No, that's not imagination. Imagination is this, this strange, really, because... <laughs> It is. And sometimes as you imagine life based on the facts and according to the pattern, but the imagination just produces it, and it is. It's an image of life as it is, as it will be, as it could be. But it's an image you perceive as reality but you didn't get there by labor. 
it just sprang fully made into your imagination. So real is that image within you that it affects every part of your body and actually your your life present and the way you look at past and future. You, You experience your imagination physically and emotionally. Have you noticed that? And, and it doesn't have to uh, conform to logic. The, the image comes full-fledged into your imagination and it has an immediate effect. Now, where most of us are very aware, we're experts at imagine, imagination in the area of uh, contemplating the future. Another word for that is anxiety. We contemplate the future, and of course, without any reference to God, we, we, we contemplate the future based on just the facts that we have. And you know what? You begin to sweat in fear. Now, this is amazing. Nothing has happened at this point, but in your imagination, you can see it. And you can anticipate. I mean, this you've written the, the, the script for a horror movie and you are the star of that horror movie and you're going down with the ship and, and you've got it all worked out, but you didn't get there line upon line, word upon word, sweating it through to finally say, uh, no, suddenly... You, you, you see the future and you see your demise. You see the collapse of everything you call life and you begin to sweat physically. And, and your heart begins to race and your stomach gets into knots and you can't digest your food. I send you to the emergency room. Your blood pressure shoots up. You know this is true. You, you might even shake physically from fear. All because in that place within you, you have constructed an image of life as you suppose it to be, having left God completely out of the equation. And that imagination is about to destroy you. And of course, flip that, your imagination can also, uh, if you imagine you see life turning out as you, you've always wanted it to be, and, and therefore there's a joy, and that joy can actually have an, an effect upon your mortal body. It, it can bring the sense of a dancing heart. It brings a sense of utter relief. Nothing's happened yet, but in your imagination, you can almost touch it. Actually, you can. Your body is, and that's what's happening. And you find laughter and tears rising within you. Imagination. That's this word. See? Have you thought about your imagination recently? Controls your life, you know. What you imagine you're going to be sooner or later. You've already begun to live, only no one's seen it yet. You see, that person with anxiety is in terrible danger of actually creating the situation he's anxiety about. 
yeah, you, you draw it to you and, and, and you sort of, I don't understand it, but you make it happen. Now, let, let, let me say this. There are possibly three levels of imagination. The first level, which um, I, I guess I would put what I've just described into that, it's, it, it's, it's the common and garden imagination of this world without God or, or believers who have forgotten who they are. And, and therefore the self, the self in strength or the self in weakness is the center of it. It's all about me and all about me inevitably ends in terror and fear and disaster and despair and depression, all arising from the imagination. Um, and, and so forget that. I'm not talking about that except to tell you that's imagination outside of God. But then there's the creative imagination, um, the, the whatever you have right now, computer or iPhone or whatever means you're listening to me, um, that all began in someone's imagination, didn't it? It's an amazing thing, amazing. Uh, that that everything I'm looking at right now, from from this microphone here to the the items around me that are all began in someone's imagination, right down to the print on the page of the Bible, it, it was creative imagination. It went where they'd never been before, yet using everything that fitted into life. But you see, this imagination that's in Isaiah 26.3, the imagination that I find all through the scripture, it's imagination that is turned outward and upward to God so that one's imagination, you see yourself as truth is. You see yourself in the presence of God, and you do that more than you've ever imagined the word imagination would be used. If I said now, be in the presence of God, I think at least 80 to 90% of you know exactly what I mean. You would be, you would realize you, your spirit would respond to, excite to the presence of God who is here. That is high, holy, spirit-inspired imagination. When it says, come boldly to the throne of grace, notice it's using imagery, the throne of grace, and it's saying, come. Or do, do you remember John in Revelation chapter 4 and he said he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he heard a voice saying, come up. And he saw a door open in heaven and he walked through the door and he's in another world. In a very real sense that that is when we intentionally come to prayer. Um, it's when we realize, maybe you're driving, maybe you're standing in a checkout line, but you realize that I, I, I live and I am now in the presence of God. 
or, or when temptation comes and all hell and darkness are hurled against you in the fashion of thoughts and you immediately not argue with the thoughts but you be in the presence of God and you give thanks to him you see that action I'm talking about that being in the presence of God that coming to the throne of grace in the scripture it's a high and a holy imagination because it's that part of me fashioned by God my creator to realize an invisible world and and through that that shaft of joy that that outpouring of peace and that sense of love's embrace in fact with that inside eye that's where we see the love of god i know god bless you and i mean that god bless you everyone because you have heard and you have opened your heart to receive this understanding that god is unconditional love but you see there are some there are some and they think about that and and it's cold truth cold truth that they've thought they've studied they've described themselves as bible students and i'm not opposed to that i am a bible student but if that's all you have then it's a matter of your intellect and, and and you're just arguing over words and you want the best translation and all that sort of stuff but what this is is that i step into the love of god himself i'm not thinking about that love but i am receiving and i'm being in i am present to that love of god and in that presence of god love all temptation and all darkness fall away into nothingness and it's what john says in 1 john chapter 3 behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us behold now that's a a seeing word isn't it look look he says look look he doesn't say study 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 he says look look behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us and and that is i i raise my inner sight i raise that high and holy imagination to say yes is so is so i am the beloved of god that's that's what's talking about here that you you will keep him in peace 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 perfect peace whose imagination whose imagination is stayed upon you stayed upon you he said now this word stayed uh again it's one of those rich words that you have to work at trying to say in english it means established uh what's a steadfast and so 
This isn't going to rock and shake. This is steadfast. It's a word used to describe a building that is tied into its foundation. If you're a builder, you know what I mean. It means that the whole building is locked into the foundation, and this building's going nowhere because the foundation... It's locked into that. It's established. It's steadfast. It's firm. It's fixed. All those words. When I moved here to Texas and into the world of ranches and cowboys, and uh, I soon had to learn about uh, posts in in putting up fences. I'd, I'd never thought about that before. I thought fences just sort of appeared. But you, you have to dig a hole. It's a big and tiresome task. You, you, you build the hole for the post, and then you put the post in, and then you put in the cement until it is rigid, until it's held and strong, and it can hold up the whole fence. Well, that's this word. It means fixed like a fence post in the hole in the cement. It's going nowhere, and, and, and therefore the fence is going to stand in the day of uh, wind and hurricane. And, and this is what Jesus spoke about when he said that uh, we, we build our house upon the rock, and when the winds come and the storms, it, it doesn't go over. And he says, you're established, you, you're rooted, you're grounded in, in himself and his teaching. Okay, that's, that's the meaning of the word, anchored to a support. It's also used, and I like this enough to say this is a, a further meaning of the word, but really it's the same idea. Uh, do, have you ever seen vines as, as they're growing? You know what I mean, the, the, the various kinds of vine. And they had their, their little, they're called tendrils, and, and they're reaching out for something to hold on to. And actually, if they can't find it, they'll turn in on themselves and it's all over. But but a, a vine will reach out and if, if you're growing the vine, you'll have a trellis, you know, where it, it crisscross and, and the little vine will cling on to it. You see the tendrils hold to it and it will begin to climb up up the trellis, and, and that vine, and it's rigid on the trellis, it's, it's clinging, it's tight to. That's this word. The vine has clung to the trellis, and it's held, and so that the strength of the trellis now becomes the strength of that weak, uh, fragile little vine. It, it's it's a word that we use to describe how a branch is part of the tree. It's locked into the tree. It, it takes its life from the tree. The strength of the tree is the strength of the branch. So, well, you got the picture? Another idea that comes from this in Scripture is exchange. That is the little weak vine it is taking, sharing in the strength of the trellis that holds it up. I'll tell you another one that some of you northerners might know something about. Uh, have you grown tomatoes? 
And, and, and you, you know, a tomato is going to fall over as soon as it gets tomatoes on it. So what do you do? You, you put a cage around it or, or you put a stake in the ground and the tomato clings to that stake or is held by that cage. The strength of the cage, the strength of the stake, the strength of the trellis becomes the strength of that weak plant, whatever it is. And so there's an exchange. The stake takes the weakness of the tomato plant and exchanges its own strength. And so the tomato plant stands tall. So you are participating in another's strength. That's this word. That's this word. (sighs) Do you realize the essence of the gospel? Oh, we could spend ages just here. The essence of the gospel is that God so loved you and I that he came and staked himself to us. That's Bethlehem. That's the word Emmanuel, God with us. That's John chapter 1, where it says that the word God became flesh. God entered into, took to himself our weak and helpless humanity, and he staked himself to us so that we actually participate in his strength even as he joined us in our weakness. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. You know, you, you could go back to the Garden of Eden And you see mankind, for we were all in Adam, and that's a biological fact. We were there in Adam. And and Adam and Eve, the male and the female, remember that when when they sinned, they they first of all covered themselves in fig leaves. They, They were full of shame as they looked at each other. And so, hiding behind fig trees in fear and shame, and then when they heard the presence of God, sin had distorted their whole conception of who God really is. Uh, And they they believed him to be this monster. And... so what? Uh, they were covered in leaves, uh, hiding from each other. They then hid in the trees of the garden to hide from God. And they're terrified and they're guilty and, and they're hiding in shame. That, that was mankind. We all know what, what, what that's about. And, and the gospel is, if I could sort of squeeze it all together, the gospel is that that God, the one they were afraid of because the sin had blinded their eyes and deafened their ears and addled their brain, God came behind the trees where they were. God, God underneath their leaves and joined them where they were 
and says, we're getting out of here and you're coming home. That's the gospel. God came where we are. God joined us as we hid from him. And he did it to every moment of human existence. He was a baby in the womb. He was a baby born. He was a a child growing. He was a teenager. He was a young man. He was manhood. He joined us. And in every area of that joining to us, locking himself into us, he brings humankind. He brings humanity to the Father. It finalizes in his taking to himself all the abuse and the suffering and the pain in his sufferings. And then going to death and the shedding of his blood, he deliberately, intentionally, voluntarily joined us in death. And then broke death into pieces and carried us out in resurrection. And even as where the vine is joined to the trellis, so where the trellis goes, the vine goes. They're joined as one. Where the tree goes, there the branch goes. And we join to Jesus Christ by sheer love, by sheer gift, are carried into the presence of the Father. And that's the truth. And because it is the truth, I don't care how you feel about it. It's got nothing to do with it. Your feelings are most unreliable. Super unreliable are your feelings. Depends entirely what you think you're seeing. (laughs) No, we, we go back to truth. Rock bottom truth regardless, without any reference to feelings. The truth is that God has joined himself to you in Jesus Christ. What's our response to that? Our response is the Amen. Or as the Virgin Mary said, Be it unto me according to your word. He who joined himself to us, we now lean into him and are joined to him. And that in terms of you and I, believer, is in our imagination. This fundamental, final truth, this absolute, unshakable, immovable truth, it means that our imagination is now, (laughs) what can I say? Our imagination is going to go where it's never gone before. Do you get that? See, up until we saw that truth, our imagination only had the facts presented by the five senses. But now my imagination is lifted, lifted, lifted by the Holy Spirit to a new level where it's never been. My imagination now sees the truth that I am in Christ and Christ is in me through the Holy Spirit. I am 
now in a world where I imagine what I've never imagined before because the Holy Spirit has shown me that the truth beyond all the truths shown to me by my five senses, the truth by which all other truths are judged, the truth is that I am in Christ and Christ is in me and he's carried me with him to the Father. I say, my imagination is going to go where it's never gone before. What's the matter with Christians in the 21st century? They have never, never realized imagination. And they're stuck in their intellect and it's dull and it's boring and it's facts and it's 2,000 years old. The Holy Spirit opens my inside eyes He opens inside ears and he ignites the heart of my imagination. So eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it ever entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit, says 1 Corinthians. Oh, yes. And what's that other one in Ephesians 3 where where it says that that God is the God who will do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. And that word think there is more or less the word we're talking about here. It means your dreams and your imaginations. God takes you to the edge of imagination and says, now I'll take you beyond. See? And remember, imagination... And certainly so when I'm dealing with the Holy Spirit in imagination, it is so. It's not... See, have you noticed legalism is always future tense? You notice that. You, You can find out, listen to the next sermon you hear. Are they speaking in the future tense? It's always future. If you do this... Or when you've got your act together, or when you've read through the whole Bible in a year, or, or after you've prayed for ten hours, when, 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 if, 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 and then, then, and it's always up ahead. When you've made the final commitment, when you've fully dedicated your life, when, oh, I mean, that's the oxygen of many churches every Sunday, are tripping forward to the altar to try and get to the when and the if. No, imagination, God-inspired imagination. Realize the isness. It is, it is. I am now stayed upon him. I am now established. I'm steadfast. I'm fixed in him. It is so. It is so. And if it is so, then. And if it is so, then. And I realize holy, divine imagination inside me is realizing my life can never be the same again, because this is so, this is so. And he is my strength within, and he is the power within. It is so. It is so, because the truth upon which we're now founding it all is the declaration, it is done, it is finished, it's accomplished. Now, think life in the light of that pattern. Cut life to that shape and I realize this is 
Never seen this before. And the Holy Spirit, that's where he works. That he, he, He's the foreman boss of the construction site. So the scripture describes him as the educator. He's the teacher. He's the guide into all truth. He's the one who enlightens us. And he works in us to will and to do of the pleasure of God. And so Jesus talked about this, used the illustration anyway of this word when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? You're established, you're locked into me. Or he is the head and we are the body. We're locked in. You realize in Jesus Christ, you are grounded into the heart of God the Father, through God the Son, and the Holy Spirit embracing you and locking you in, celebrating the love of God in you. Oh, what a relief. What a relief this is. You see, you're not trying to get somewhere. Nor are you trying to think what isn't so. You realize in Jesus Christ I'm there and this is so. Now Holy Spirit translate this into life. Don't confuse this with a cult thing that was around at least a few years ago. I don't know how extent it is now, but it was, they called it visualization. Uh, and you, you worked. It was a matter of the intellect because you had to work at it. You tried to visualize what you wanted to be. Uh, no, this is not that. That's a labor. Uh, th- th- this is realizing. This is... What can I say? It's my heart going straight up into truth in the... Here I am and I'm bombarded by this world and darkness hurls itself at me and the flaming arrows of Satan come straight into my mind and heart. And I mean, we don't fight it, but we fight it by going straight up into the heart of God and declaring and realizing and reveling in... The is, who he is, who Jesus is, and who I am through the Holy Spirit in Jesus. We imagine life within the truth. That's what it is. So, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. See, In the light of what I just said, that verse is not a prescription. You know, you you go to the doctor, they give you a prescription. Take this for so many days, weeks, and and then things will begin to happen. No, I don't. This verse is not a sort of uh, heavenly pill from a divine pharmacy that if I take it and work at it and try to do it, it will happen. No, this is not a prescription. This is a description. It describes the person who trusts in the God who in Jesus has bound himself, staked himself to us. And as a little vine I rest, 
<laughs> I'm as strong as the stake, you say. I'm as steady as the trellis. Did you get that? And, and that, so it describes me. That's who I am. And I'm going to learn how to walk in this. And I'm going to let this be indeed the very oxygen of my life. And of course, David saw this in the Psalms. It, it takes the whole New Testament to bring it to its fullest. But the embryo of this was in the Psalms. And that's when David said, the Lord is my, you see, do you remember? The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, the fullness of God, and the New Testament says the fullness of God now revealed in Christ Jesus. The fullness of God is, so we're not trying to get there, we're not trying to work our passage there, is, is my, so the Lord is my, locked in, joined, staked to me. And what is it? The Lord is my, well, depending on what you're being threatened with, depending on what's facing you, the Lord is that. He's your strength. He's your wisdom. He's the light upon your path. He's your protection. And so on and so on and so on. I interpret my past now. I understand how I live in the moment, but also when I look into the future, there's no anxiety because I look into the future recognizing, imagining him with me and in me. So, what, what does David say again, Psalm 23? He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Did you hear what he said there? Or oh, just to, even though... Even though, you see, that's how anxiety begins in those outside of Christ. You look at the future and say, if it comes to that, even though it's projecting into the future, if, if, if the worst happens, what will happen to me? And we spiral into anxiety. But the person that is in the peace of God because their imagination is stayed upon him. They say, even though, yeah, they, they can face the worst that might happen. They say, but if that happens, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death itself, I will fear no evil. He can say that now about a future time, if it should happen, because you are with me. And because you are with me, you will be with me. You see, I have the perfect peace of God. So, I, I, I'm, for some of you, I'm leading you tonight where you've never been before. To imagine tonight. Imagine tomorrow as it really is, that Jesus Christ is actually in you, in your life, through the Holy Spirit, 
Now what does tomorrow look like? Do you get what I mean? Imagine life in Christ. Isaiah, and I won't go there, we don't have the time, but just enough to say that Isaiah is writing to people who were in Babylon as captives, slaves, and and they were surrounded by all the hideous, ugly gods, idols of Babylon. And Isaiah writes and he says, lift up your eyes, behold your God. That is, don't Don't look at the idols and let their distorted ugliness become part of your life. Look up. Lift up your eyes. Behold your God. That's what I'm talking about here. Or David said in the Psalms more than once, My heart is fixed. That is, I'm anchored in you and I interpret everything that is happening, has happened, and will happen in the light of who you are fixed in me. Or the ones you know, like in the New Testament, where it says, by the renewal of your mind, be transformed. Renewal of your mind, that's it. Renew your imagination so that you begin to imagine where you've never imagined before your life in Christ, or Colossians. If you then be risen with Christ, that is, is actually, that's a figure of speech, you know. Seeing as you are risen with Christ, seeing as you are a resurrected person in Christ, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Behold. And those who would liturgically celebrate the Holy Communion week by week. You remember how that opens to you? Do you remember how we open the Eucharist celebration? I say, lift up your hearts, and you respond, we lift them up to you. That's this. I lift up my heart. I turn the eyes of my heart imagination to see who I am in Christ in the very presence of God, and I'm lifted above all the clawing, nagging darkness of the earth. That's it, you see. And this brings about living your life with intention. Don't don't listen to the whisper in the darkness, the whisper of the liar, when he would tell you his lies concerning God and lies about yourself. Rather, lift up your heart. Behold your God. And so behold who you truly are. Be present to him who is present to you. He's always present to you. We learn this text, we lift up our hearts, we recognize we're stayed upon him in Christ. We be still and we know that he is God. And in that presence, that presence of light, the darkness just isn't. Temptation isn't. (laughs) Isn't it simple? No formula, 
just being in the presence of the God who is love. Well, I think we've still got some truth in that verse. And so, at least at this time, I'm planning to be back there next week. But your homework is to discover your imagination filled with the Holy Spirit, your imagination in Christ. Well, that's it. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May he open the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your inner heart, the eyes of your imagination, that you may rise to see who you are, to know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in this micro-moment at work in you. And so you shall be seated in heavenly realms. And there you shall walk in the authority of Christ on this earth. So I bless you. So I send you into your world. And that is the way it is.